Some of you might not have been here last week. Um, if you weren't here, I'll just encourage you to catch up. I started to talk about apostolic mindset, and I mentioned to you that we're a very apostolic church. And if you look in scripture, what did apostles do? What did apostles do? It actually comes from a Greek word, apostolos, apostolos, which is basically an envoy of ships that go to another region and conquer it. How many of you know that we've come to take over? Amen? And the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4 that he's given us those ministry gifts primarily for the equipping of the saints, right? Primarily for the equipping of the saints. So when there's a strong apostolic grace in a ministry, one of the purposes of that is so that the people become apostolic. The people have an apostolic mindset. The people have a mindset that says we want to break through into that other region. We want to infect regions and countries, nations, cities with what? With the kingdom of God. God has got a kingdom agenda. He's not just here to save us from our sins. He's also here to use us to extend his kingdom. Amen. So when you experience the lordship of Christ in your family, in your household, it's not to keep it there, but it's to infect nations with that lordship. Can I hear an amen? And so last week, I began to take you on an apostolic journey with Paul and Barnabas. Remember, they were released uh, in the church at Antioch, and they were sent out. And I shared with you what happened to Herod, who took the credit, took the glory for himself. And he was struck down, dead. He was struck down, and then he was eaten up by worms and died. I'm not too sure at what point he actually died. If you follow the logic of that statement, it seems like he was struck down, and then he was eaten up by worms and died. Okay, But the point is, he ended up dead. And that is New Testament. And some people have got this thing of, ah, no, New Testament. No, no, that won't happen. God is too gracious. God is too gracious. And then later on, Paul and Barnabas meet up this guy called Bar-Jesus. Remember the guy called Bar-Jesus? All right? Elimus. And he was a sorcerer. And he was basically resisting the gospel. And they wanted to preach to the preconsul of the area. And this guy was twisting Paul and Barnabas' words. And what happened to him? Paul, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit, basically spoke to this guy and said, listen, you're full of deceit and trickery. Um, you're going to go blind for a while. Do you remember that? And the guy ended up groping about, groping about, looking for someone who would walk him around because he was blind for a while. And so we see that God's kingdom is on the advance. We're not retreating, we're advancing. Amen. And there's a lot of backlash when it happens. And I shared with you various stories, but please, please catch up and listen to that particular message. Because some of you don't know how to deal with the spiritual resistance that you are going through, that you are facing. And we have to up our game as the body of Christ. We have to know how to pray strong prayers. Amen? Say to the person next to you, pray strong prayers. Please, I'm not just talking about the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith is a prayer when you want to get stuff. Not so? The Bible tells us that the prayer of faith will get our stuff. But I'm talking about territorial governing churches where we can legislate things in the spirit. Amen. Where we can reverse things that the enemy has brought upon you. And we want to be that type of church. It's not just the pastors who will do that. But it's every single person here under the sound of my voice. Amen. All right. And so this week we're going to go a little bit deeper into this particular journey. And I'm going to start reading from verse 13, verse 13 of Acts chapter 13. 
everyone there, you should be seeing it on the screen shortly, right? From Paphos, interesting name, Paphos. They're interesting Bible names, right? My, um, uh, my youngest son said to us, he was learning some Bible verses this morning, and then he, he's looking at Daniel, because that's his name, and then he goes over from Daniel and he sees Hosea. And he's like, I didn't know there was a book in the Bible called Hosea. I'm like, there is one called Hosea, amen. He says, oh, that's wrong. Imagine, so there was a guy called Hosea. Oh, that's just wrong. <laughs> and then Samuel said, just be careful. Don't repeat that, Dad. You know, maybe there's someone in the church who's got that name. I like it, actually. It's a strong name, Hosea. Okay. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went to Pisidian Antioch. These were interesting places. And the sad thing is this region ended up being um, uh, attacked by the Muslims later on, a few centuries later on. Uh, but it was an area that had rejected Paul. You know? But this wasn't the only time he was going to go to this place. He ended up going back to uh, Pisidian Antioch, establishing elders in the church there and so on. Right? Now watch this. Like, let me pray. Father, I pray for revelation to be imparted. I thank you that this is not just going to be a teaching, but it's going to be an impartation of revelation that will transform lives. I come against every demonic spirit that would want to distract anyone in this room right now. I thank you for the spirit of concentration. I thank you that they will listen to this message, Lord, and their lives will change in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and they sat down. Some of you enter new places, but you're standing up saying, I'm your answer, I'm your answer. We have to know when to sit down and when to stand up. Amen? Now, this was the practice at the time. They would walk into the synagogue and they would sit down. But I'm speaking to you metaphorically this morning. We must know when to sit down and when to stand up. Don't stand up when God is saying, sit down, listen, and learn. Amen? Don't stand up when God is saying, sit down, listen, and learn. And don't sit down when God is saying, you must stand up and speak. We must know. We must know the times and we must know the seasons. It says on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. So imagine they're probably meeting these people here for the first time. And then it says in verse 15, after the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. If you sit down and you know your place at a certain point, because you've positioned yourself aright, the leaders in the synagogue, okay, there'll be people who will come and God will use them to recognize you and they'll say, come, come, speak. Are you hearing me? But you must trust God that he will raise you up. And then... They sent words to them saying, brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. So here's the principle. Be ready for your moment. He was sitting. He didn't force himself onto them, but there was a moment. Now my question to you is, do you have a message? Because an apostolic people have a message. If, if we were to say to you, can you come and share? An exhortation. Do you have something? I remember we used to do missions back in the day when I was at Varsity in the 90s. And we would go deep into um, some of the rural places in the Eastern Cape. We would go to various places. We would go to certain cities. I remember there was a time we went to a church in Alice. How many of you know Alice? Okay? Went to a church close to Fortier, by Fortier University. We went to Alice there. All the way from Grahamstown, we went to Alice. And we're sitting there. 
as a missions team. And in the service, this very same thing that happened to Paul and Barnabas happened to us. They said, oh, and the brothers and sisters from Grahamstown, can you come forward? Vim, I don't know if you were at that mission. There was Sandile, there were a number of us. Can you come forward, please, and um, share an item with us? You know how it is in South Africa. They say, can you share an item with us? Fortunately, we had Sandile who could sing, and then he sang for them and so on. But the point I'm making is, are you ready when you're called up? Because some of you, God wants to use you, but you're not ready. I'm telling you right now, the things that you do in private continuously, keep doing them because at a certain point you'll be called up. I've shared with you guys before in terms of the TV show that we've been doing. The stuff I'm doing on the TV show, it's not new stuff to me. Some of you were recipients of the marriage counseling I took you through when I would counsel people maybe five in a row in the evenings here. And some of you are now seeing those same card games that we were using. You're seeing them now on TV. Amen. I'm telling you right now what Paul the Apostle was going through here and what he shared when he was back at the church in Antioch, he was probably already having debates and dialogue with some of the other leaders there. It says in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers there and they were worshiping God together. Whatever you want to end up doing on the big stage, please begin to do it now in private. And I believe that for some of you who are currently speaking to a small group, one day you'll speak to a church. Please receive. You currently speaking to a small group, one day you'll speak to a church. You're currently speaking to a church, one day you'll speak to churches. You're currently speaking to churches, one day you'll speak to a city. That's how God operates. Amen? And so what is interesting here is it says in verse 16, standing up. Now it was his time to stand up. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. Isn't that powerful? Here's a guy sitting, meeting all these other people for the first time, and then he's called up to speak, but he doesn't say, it's my first time speaking, so I'll just, I'll just do it on the down low. When God has promoted you, no man can demote you. Man cannot demote that which God has promoted. So just because it's your first time doing something, it doesn't mean that you can't walk in authority. God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called if god has called me it doesn't matter my age it doesn't matter my color it doesn't matter what country i'm from it doesn't matter my gender because god has qualified you you embrace it and you do it with authority amen when my wife was speaking in berlin recently she didn't hold back and say oh no but i'm just speaking and then there these guys here and they've done this they've done that she spoke with authority amen some of you i used the term last week self-deauthorization i was speaking to someone th during the course of the week and they said pastor i think that's my growth step i think i've deauthorized myself god has called me to lead god has called me to teach god has called me to pastor but somehow because of stuff that i've been through i deauthorize myself stop doing that ladies and gentlemen if god has called you he's called you and he knows better than you and me amen all right now look at this it's, look at the authority with which he did. He says, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God. So he was inclusive. And we've said before that there's something about the apostolic grace that embraces diversity. I told you last week that this church is a church for all nations. Don't come in here and say like, oh, they're all these Swartmenses. Oh, you know, they're all these black people. Maybe it's not a church for me. That's the African way of thinking. We don't function like that. Is this okay? Is it fine? Okay. We don't function like that. 
Okay, God has called all people from all nations. And I like the way Paul the Apostle actually embraces them. Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. I want God to make me prosper. I don't want someone, a human being, to prosper me. Amen? It says, he made the people prosper. We know in scripture that in the book of Deuteronomy, it tells us very clearly, I am the Lord your God who gives you the power to create wealth. What's that word power? It speaks of an anointing. There's an anointing for wealth creation. The anointing is not just for preaching. The anointing is not just for teaching. The anointing is not just for healing. The anointing is also for wealth creation. But in this country, a lot of people want to become wealthy outside of the anointing. A lot of people want to become wealthy through that connection or through that politician or, hey, that politician is now finally promising me land. I would rather get what God gives me. Amen. Because if I get what man tries to give me, guess what will happen? Man can also take it away. And then I'm insecure. And so I find it very interesting because he says here that he made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. I thought they were slaves. Last time I checked, I thought they were slaves in Egypt. I don't know about you. How many of you are foreigners here? How many of you are foreigners to South Africa? Raise your hand where you are. Okay. A few of you here. Stop complaining about being a foreigner. Stop complaining about your status in this country. I know certain people who've become, I was speaking to someone yesterday, who's become a citizen through naturalization, but was still struggling to get a job. So don't think to yourself, things will automatically happen once I get this paper and that paper and that paper. You get what I'm saying, right? Because you can still be rejected. The thing that opens doors for you is when God makes you prosper. You can go back to your home country and still not prosper. The thing that prospers you is making sure you're in God's will and allowing God to raise you up. Can I hear an amen, saints? Okay, these are prophetic things I'm saying, and it's up to you how you catch it and how you make it your own. You can receive it as mental assent, or you can say, this is a word for me. God, you've said this morning to me, you've spoken. You've spoken and you've said that I can prosper in a land where I'm not a citizen. I'm taking that word and I'm going to make the word work for me. Amen? How many of you that when you renew your mind, you can only renew your mind to the degree that you do the word? Mind renewal is not just some mental exercise. Mind renewal is to do with doing the word that you hear. And it says here, and I love this, it says, with mighty power, with power, he led them out of that country. If ever you decide to leave this nation, make sure you leave with God's mighty power. Don't leave in the natural Don't leave based on fear. Don't leave based on, oh, this will just work out practically for me. Because I can tell you something, you'll go to another nation and it can be worse. They they left Egypt, but it says, with the mighty power, he led them out of that country. And we know it's speaking here of all the miracles that happened. Some of you are being led from one job to another, but outside of the mighty power of God. I don't know about you, but I want to do everything that I do With God's mighty power. I'm hoping someone caught this. I'm hoping someone caught this. There's that word that, um, there's a friend of mine, he preached a word some years ago. To stay or not to stay. Because everyone was immigrating and there are all sorts of things happening. I want you to hear this. It says that with mighty power, he led them out of that country. 
When you're functioning with an apostolic mindset, everything you do, my wife was praying about it, you want to stay in his presence. Like, Lord, you know what? I don't want to just move on and then leave God behind. I don't want to stay and God has moved on. I want to do everything according to the mighty power of God. In verse 18, it says, For about 40 years, he endured their conduct. How much of your conduct is God enduring? It says for about 40 years, God endured their conduct. You know, sometimes with God, we've got this thing of like, he's super patient, he's super loving, so he's fine with my stuff. And that's all we quote. We only quote those words. But here it says that for about 40 years, God endured <laughs> their conduct. It's a powerful prayer to actually pray, to say, Lord, what are you enduring about me? And God can speak to you. He endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan. How many of you know that if God wants to bless you with stuff, he's in the overthrowing business? He'll overthrow whoever needs to be overthrown just so that you get your stuff. Amen? If you're in his will. You see, God had a purpose for the nation of Israel and he was willing to overthrow nations just to give the Israelites what he wanted to give them. Some of you will leave this place with that revelation. But some of you, because the enemy has besieged your minds, you will still keep struggling. This is such a powerful scripture. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read it again. It says that, it says that in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan. Now, if God can overthrow, overthrow seven nations in Canaan just to get his children what they need to have in the promised land, why can't he do the same for you in the workplace? The Bible doesn't just talk about God promoting people. It also talks about God demoting, and people don't like quoting those scriptures. God promotes you. I am the Lord your God. It says promotion comes from above. I am the Lord your God who raises up one and does what? And puts down another. I've been in lots of consulting situations where they say, hey, Paul, yeah, that, Paul, we just love you. We love you. We lo Paul, I love you. It was a bit awkward the one day because it was a female. I just love you, Paul. There was another guy who came and Paul, you know what? When I just saw him, you know there are those people and you just see them and you're just like, how many of you know that sometimes your promotion will mean someone else's demotion? And that's okay. Don't feel bad about it. Seriously, there's some of you who've been promoted recently, but you're such nice people, and what tends to happen is you apologize for how God has raised you. And you end up not functioning how God has called you to function because you feel bad. Oh no, because my boss is favoring me. He must stop favoring me that way. No, it's God who's favored you through your boss. Amen? Just receive it. Take it, it's yours. Say to the person next to you, take it, it's yours. Take it, it's yours. Take it, it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> There's a guy in Botswana who used to do that when you would pray for people. Take it, it's yours. Take it, it's yours. Take it, it's yours. All right? Now, here's an interesting thing as I go deeper into this. It says, he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. I'd rather have what God gives me than what man tries to give me. Amen. All this took about 450 years, 450 years. <laughs> That's the thing. We want this to be an overnight success, right? All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, the prophet. 
Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish. I want to ask you a question. Was it in God's mind to give them Saul? Was that part of God's plan and strategy to give them Saul? No, it wasn't. But it says here that then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish. So there's some things that come to us in our lives because we ask for them, even if it's not God's best for us. Please listen very carefully. There's some things that you will have in your life because you've insisted on having it, and God ends up giving you even though it's not his best for your life. Be very careful what you insist on. Amen? I don't know about you, but I want things that God chooses to give me that are according to his will. And watch what happens. Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. They ended up having a ruler for 40 years because that's what they were praying for and insisting on. Could it be that some of the rulers we have in our nation is because we prayed for them? It's because that's what we've desired in our own rebellion and in our own insisting before God, yes, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And he's like, okay, okay, you can have it. Now watch, watch what happens. Then he says, who ruled for 40 years. Then he says, after removing Saul, God can also remove. After removing Saul, he made David their king. Now it doesn't say they prayed to get a David. It doesn't say they went around and they chose David. It says God gave them. I would rather have what God gives. Are you catching this this morning? I would rather have what God gives than what I've insisted upon and then he ends up feeling like, hey, okay, you can have this. Those of you as parents, you might be aware of what I'm talking about. How many of you have bought computer games for your kids? How many of you have bought them an Xbox, PlayStation 4? Was it in your mind, was it your dream this year that I really want my son to end up having a PlayStation 4? Oh, it's one of my goals. Oh, I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. Lord, that PlayStation 4. You're giving them the PlayStation 4 if you are me and my wife? Partly because they insisted. Hey, okay, he really wants. Hey, okay, well, it's his birthday. I mean, oh, uh, you know what? Sometimes God does that. Sometimes God does that. That's why it's important to pray prayers that are in accordance with the will of God. It's not like the PlayStation 4 is necessarily a terrible thing, but how many of you know that it's not necessarily the best thing either? Now watch what happens. It says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? And here Paul is quoting the Old Testament. A man after my own heart. And when you look at it in, in the book of Kings, when it actually happens, it's interesting. Because it was the result of Saul's disobedience. He says, God's, God basically says, Saul, because you haven't obeyed me in everything, I've now found myself someone else who's after my own heart, who will keep all my commandments. So what does that mean, being after God's own heart? It's where God can say, this person gets me. This person knows what my will is and does it. This person also knows my intent and is aligned with that. 
That's what, it's, that's what it's speaking of when it's saying, this is someone who's a man after my own heart. So we see here that God can remove kings. Say to the person next to you, God can remove kings. And we also see the principle that obedience reveals the heart. The primary reason why David was called a man after my own heart is because he was a man who would obey God in everything. Amen. This guy gets me. This guy knows how I think. This guy knows my intention and my plan and my strategy for nations. And the result is, this is the man I'm going to pick to become king. Some of you want to be kings. Some of you want to be kings over industries. Some of you want to be kings over businesses. Some of you want to be kings in churches. But you're not willing to be a man after God's own heart. You're not willing to be a woman after God's own heart. If you study the technology of spiritual promotion, this is one of the keys. Go before God this afternoon and say, Lord, what has to change in me in order for me to be selected by you as a man or a woman after your own heart? Amen? And the Lord will speak to you and he will show you. And he'll show you. He says, a man after my own heart, he will do everything I want him to do. How many of you can raise your hand right now if you feel that's how God sees you, let's, let's not even use that phrase, a man after my own heart, a woman after my own heart. Just that second part that explains the meaning of it. She will do everything I want her to do. How many of you can say, ah, there, pastor, <laughs> that's me. Ah, there. <laughs> In fact, I'm just waiting afterwards, you know, because I want to see that contract coming through, that, that door opening, because I know definitely I can say I'm a person who will do everything God wants me to do. And we see this in the life of David, don't we? We see this in the life of David. Every decision he's making is there. Lord, do you want me to do this or this? Oh, this. Lord, what's the strategy this time around? Should I do this? Should I ambush the Philistines or should I not? Oh, okay, let me do this. A man after my own heart. And God looks and is like, wow, if I want to change nations, if I want to influence and legislate things in regions, this is someone I can work with. This is someone who's malleable. This is someone who's so easy to work with. Amen? I think it's awesome. In verse 23, from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Can you see how John's heart was different to Herod's? Can you see how David's heart was different to Herod's? Herod wanted the praise and the worship to go to him. He didn't stop people who were worshiping him. But can you see that John the Baptist did the exact opposite? John the Baptist saw that people were starting to praise him. People were starting to worship him. And what did he say? He says, who do you guys suppose I am? Have you ever asked yourself that question? The people who are dealing with you, the people who are around you right now, it could be your friends, it could be your neighbors, it could be your clients. Who do they suppose you are? And if they think you're greater than you actually are, do you correct that? Because that's exactly what John did here. 
He corrected that misconception. We're very defensive, aren't we, when people have a lower view of us than we have. And we will go out there because we want to be understood, and we will correct that. But when they have a higher estimation of us than we have of ourselves, do we also correct them? Can you see that? Because that's exactly what John did. That was his type of humility. And I believe it's, no, it's by no accident that Jesus then says, there's no one in the king, there's no one born of a woman that is greater than John. I mean, that's something. That's such a great honor for someone to say. There's no one who has been born of a woman. Everyone is born of a woman, right? They haven't yet figured out how to get people born of men, right? With all their technology. And he says, there's no one that is born of a woman that is greater than John. But look at John's humility. Who do you guys suppose I am? So are you willing to reposition yourself in the minds of people? To say, guys, this is me. This is me. This is who I am. I was at um, the Crawford in Pretoria uh, on Friday. Was it Friday? On Friday. And I was speaking to parents there. The hall was packed with parents on parenting. But the way I positioned it at the start, I said, you know what, guys, I just get to speak to you, but we are learning together about this parenting thing. I could have tried to position myself like I'm this expert, right, who's so clued up. But I positioned myself there because I need God's grace as a parent. Amen? And with the same measure I judge others, I'll be judged. Very often, I actually learn things from the people that I'm counseling in marriage counseling. They're going through difficulties and so on. But every now and again, I will learn something, a tool that I can use in my own marriage. Something right that those people is actually doing. Amen? I love how John positions himself in this particular way. He says, but there's one coming after whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Pride always comes before a fall, ladies and gentlemen. Pride will always come before a fall. When we're talking about having an apostolic mindset, we're not talking about arrogantly trying to take over. We're talking about doing it with humility. Doing it with humility. So my question to you is, do you need to reposition your heart? Do you need to reposition your heart? You see, some people come to a place of brokenness in their lives. Bible tells us that I will not deny or despise a broken and contrite heart. Some people come to a place of brokenness because they con- So Some of you will walk out of this room and you'll walk in humility because of what I've just said. But other people, very sadly, have to go through so many difficulties before they realize that, you know what? I need to be a humble person. I want to encourage you. Come to a place of brokenness by choice as opposed to brokenness by experience. You see, if you don't humble yourself, you'll be humbled. You'll be humiliated. Amen? If you don't humble yourself, you'll be what? You'll be humiliated. I would rather humble myself. The Bible is very powerful. And it says, humble yourself under the hand of the mighty God. And in due time, he will lift you up. I want to humble myself. I don't want to wait until I'm humiliated. Amen? Did you all catch that? You see, some people are proud. They don't understand that sometimes you can excel in ministry because of the corporate anointing. Sometimes you can function in certain ministry gifts because of the corporate anointing. What do we mean by corporate anointing? It's a grace you function in because of who you're under. It's a grace you function in because of who you're associated with. And sometimes people will function in an apostolic grace, in a prophetic grace, because of the nature of the 
anointing, the dominant anointing in this ministry. And then they'll decide like, ah, but look, look at me. Look at what I'm And they'll go off and then they'll wonder, but why aren't I functioning in the same way anymore? It takes humility to understand that. Amen? You are functioning under corporate anointing. He continues in verse 26. He says, fellow children of Abraham, fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. Which message has been sent to you? Because he says here, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they carried out all that was written about him, they took down from the cross, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors. He has fulfilled for us their children. How many of you know that you can be custodians of the promises of God? It says here what God, can you see here? It says what God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us. I want to ask you, what promises has God given you that are going to be fulfilled for your children? That are going to be fulfilled for your children's children? Amen? You see, some of the promises that you are carrying right now, of which you are a custodian of, they're not just promises for you. They're promises for the next generation. Some of you are catching that. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. When David had served God in his own generation, he fell asleep. When David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he did what? He fell asleep. Do you know what God's purpose is for this particular generation? See, God is calling you and me to serve him and his purpose. Not for another generation, in this generation. This group of people living right now. Often when it says this generation, that's what it's talking about. David did it for his generation. What is the purpose of God for this generation right now? The Bible tells us we must be like the sons of Issachar who understood the times and the seasons. Do you understand the times and the seasons? What is God's purpose for this generation right now? He fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. 
Verse 38. Therefore, my friends, he's preaching to these people and he calls them friends. Isn't that amazing? He's seeing a lot of these people for the first time and he refers to them as friends. He says, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. That includes addiction. Some people recently have been freed from addictions in this church. It says that he who believes in him is set free from every sin. What is the key to being liberated? Believing in him. Amen? How does that look? What does that look like? It looks like this. When you're in a place of wanting to run to the bottle or run to that cigarette, ask yourself, what is this doing for me? Because you're doing it because it's fulfilling something. Am I doing it because I'm feeling lonely? Am I doing it because I need to relax? Make Jesus your strong tower. It's about saying, I'm not going to do that. It's about saying, I found an alternative. Jesus is my fortress. Jesus is my strong tower. Jesus is the one I run to when I'm feeling lonely, when I'm feeling discouraged, when I'm feeling depressed, when I'm feeling anxious. I'm now running to him. That's what it means when scripture says, believe in Jesus. In other words, believe him for the fullness of your salvation. Amen? Salvation is not just having our sins blotted out. Salvation is also, I now have peace. I now have healing. I now walk in abundance. I can now walk in prosperity. Amen? There's the fullness of salvation. The Bible in the New Testament talks about the better things of salvation. I don't know about you, but I want to embrace those things. What are you addicted to? Are you addicted to porn? There's a reason you're running to porn. Amen? Can I go there? There's a reason you're running. When I, when I counsel people who've been addicted to porn, I say, what are you imagining? What are you fantasizing? And I start seeing that it's not always a sexual thing. Amen? It's not always a sexual thing when pe people who struggle with porn, they'll say, oh, I just imagine a thing where these women and they're just admiring me and they're treating me like this hero. And when you listen to some of the fantasies, you start to realize that the fantasies are around the poor self-image. When you run to Jesus, who can affirm you and validate you and say you are precious, you are my child, you don't have to perform, you don't have to be loved by all the women out there, you are validated because you are my child. When you receive him and you believe that, that's when the freedom comes. Amen? For too long we've told people to stop doing this and stop doing that and we haven't told them what to do as an alternative. We haven't told them who to run to as an alternative. As apostolic people with an apostolic mindset, our message is Christocentric. Our message is the good news telling people you can run to Jesus for your marriage. You can run to Jesus for that addiction. You can run to Jesus to break the spirit of poverty. You can, you can, you can. And that's why it's good news. Amen. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, not just some sins. Ah, no, Lord, my stuff is too bad. Uh-uh. Set free from every sin. I know this one has been in my family for too long. No. Set free from every sin. I know, Paul, this one is actually a disease. Then you start labeling it a disease. Set free from every sin. A justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. 
Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Verse 41. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. What are you believing God for? Are you believing him for something mediocre? You know one of the things about the apostolic mindset? It's never satisfied with the norm. It's never satisfied with church as we know it. There's always that thing in the apostolic that says we can do better. The harvest is great. The harvest is plentiful. There's more, Lord. There's more, Lord. There's more, Lord. That's the apostolic mindset. Some of you have settled for second best in your lives. Some of you have settled for the mediocre. But I'm here to say to you this morning, in God, there's more. In Christ Jesus, there's more. Can I hear an amen? amen. In verse 42, it says, As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. I find it interesting that they first went into the synagogue and they sat down. They knew their place. Then it says the leaders of the synagogue invited them to speak. After they had spoken, guess what it says? It says the people, not just the leaders, the people said, please come back next week. In other words, they were back by popular demand. Please hear me this morning. When God's favor is on your life, you will go back by popular demand. You will go back and do what you did the last time, but the glory would have increased. And people will say, we now want you, not just the leaders. Amen. They'll say, we want you. The people in Berlin, they were saying, we want her back. We want her back. She was invited by the leader who's our friend. But now she will go back, not just because of the leader, but by popular demand. Can I hear an amen? You see, some of you are satisfied doing it first time round, and then you're discouraged because the numbers are few. But when you are faithful and you speak effectively, when you serve effectively, guess what God ends up doing? The favor increases, and people who didn't know you will say, please come back, please come back. Watch what happens. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. So there was a door within a door that was opened. Why? Because in verse 44 it says, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city, say to the person next to you, almost the whole city, almost the whole city gathered together to hear the word of the Lord. And that's why I said to you earlier on, if you've just spoken to your small group, and I say this as a decree, you'll speak to a church. If you're just speaking to a church, you will speak to churches. If you're just speaking to churches, you'll speak to cities. If you're just speaking to cities, you'll speak to nations. It's your portion. It's apostolic increase. It's part of your inheritance. And this applies to you whether you're a preacher, whether you're a healer, whether you're a counselor, whether you've, you're a kingdom financier. If you had a business that was just in one corner of the city, your business is expanding to the rest of the city. If your business was all over the city, it's going into the region. If it was in the region, it's going into the nation. If it was in the nation, it's going into nations. Take it, it's yours. Take it, it's yours. Take it, it's yours. Amen? How many of you know that there are levels of glory? There are levels of glory. Their levels of glory. The Bible tells me that he's taking us from glory to glory. And some of you are between glories. Remember T.D. Jakes' message, between glories. 
And that's why some people struggle because they're in transition and they don't know what's going on. A brother shared a testimony. Just, I've just remembered, shared a testimony with me. And he said to me after my message last week that I can identify with what you're talking about. There are people who want me out of my organization. And during the course of that week, that's actually what happened. Because of the spirit of envy that was there against him, people made up stuff about him and they wanted him out. And he ended up just resigning. As soon as he resigned... The breakthrough started coming and people were saying, we want you, we want you, we want you, we want to do business with you, we'll pour money into your life. Some of you, you have to resign first before you get your breakthrough. I explained to him that sometimes God's hand, when it's on you, if you're in the wrong type of partnership, you don't see the thing that's in the spirit coming into the natural because God is waiting for you to be on your own first and then the blessing pours out. I can tell you story after story after story of certain business people that I've worked with before. When they were in a certain environment in the past, the breakthrough didn't happen. When they reconnected with something else and got out of that situation, breakthroughs happened. Amen? Why? God is a covenantal God. Are you hearing me this morning? God is a covenantal God and there's certain covenants he's made with just you. There are certain covenants he's made and the covenant is just between you and him. And as long as you're in that other partnership, it won't happen because he doesn't want mixture. That was for some of you here. If you're listening to what the Spirit of God is saying to you, that is for some of you here. But you see, you don't yet have that courage and that spirit of boldness. One of the things that comes with the apostolic grace is the spirit of boldness that says, God, I'm stepping out in what you've called me to. God, I'm stepping out. I recognize your favor over my life. Lord, forgive me because I've been leaning on the wisdom of man and I've been trusting in the flesh. I'm now leaning on your wisdom. You are my source. Amen. And then the breakthrough happens. Watch this verse 45. It says, when the Jews saw the crowds. You see, for some of you, there's no warfare because the crowds aren't there yet. It says, when the Jews saw the crowds, see, the Jews were fine saying, brothers, in the synagogue, brothers, if you've got anything to share, please share. And then Paul gets up and now he's like, listen to me. And he speaks with authority. And now the crowds are saying, come back, come back. When the Jews saw the crowds. And that's what's happening with some of you, isn't it? People are now seeing your influence. People are now experiencing your favor. And then a spirit of envy, it's happened to us a lot. The spirit of envy gets upon them. And that's a dangerous one. The Bible says in the book of James, wherever there's envy, there's all kinds of evil. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. You can either be filled, by, filled with the Holy Spirit or filled with jealousy and envy. And for some of you, you're on the other side of this. You're the one who's filled with jealousy and envy over other people. Amen? It says they began to contradict what Paul was saying. In other words, they twisted Paul's words. They misquoted him. That's how, let me just explain to you. The spirit of envy, you will always see this. Whenever someone is envious against you, they don't keep quiet about it. Envy very often, listen very carefully, the spirit of envy very often manifests in what people say about you. And often the spirit of envy functions with that spirit of false accusation. And you have to know how to deal with that spirit of envy. One of the things is to be wise about it. If you are working, let me just say this as a warning. If you are working in an environment 
where you've just been promoted or you can experience God's favor and so on. Know that the way the spirit of envy will operate is through false accusation. So put things in writing. I'm not saying you must become this person, you know, who's paranoid about stuff. Put things in writing. Because I can tell you right now, if you don't put things in writing, there'll be someone who'll make up stories about you. If you go into an organization and they say, yeah, no, this is how we'll function, this is what will happen, and so on, say, can I, can I put that in writing? Can we have an agreement? You see, we deal with the spirit of envy in the spirit, but also in the natural, we must be wise. Why? We know what's in the hearts of people. Amen? Some of you get into these things like, I will just do business on a brother-brother basis. But when that brother now realizes the favor of God on your life, if you haven't got that contract signed and so on, what happens? That's how the spirit of envy often operates. Can I hear an amen? So they began to contradict what Paul was saying, and they heaped abuse on him. It's a spirit that will falsely accuse you, but it will also mock you, a mocking spirit. It will mock you. There have been times when I'm speaking to someone and they're saying something to me like this, but I can see there's a mocking spirit behind them. And we must wake up and smell the coffee and realize some of these things. What does envy do? It twists, it misquotes, it mocks you. Sometimes it comes in the form of the soul spirit. Remember how Saul was to David? When David was just trying to do everything right. So you might have leaders who function in that soul spirit where they now want to kill you yet you want to protect them. I've experienced it before, where the very people I would speak well of ended up being the very people who would speak ill of me. All right? They were filled with jealousy. This is an opportunity for resilience. What is resilience? It's the ability to bounce back and to bounce back quickly. Those of you who are sensitive people, you crumble. Because there'll be a mocking spirit, a spirit of false accusation. How many of you find that the thing that triggers you is when you're accused falsely? I know some people, when I do this exercise with people, I say, what's your emotional trigger? A number of people is like, if someone says I lied when I didn't lie, eh, you know what? It becomes a trap. The devil knows that that's the thing that triggers you and will make you angry. Then you end up saying things back to them that you regret you had said. You regret saying. Amen. Just be careful of that. Now watch what he goes on to say. In verse 46, when Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, it says, then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of the Lord God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. We always say this, go where the life is. Don't waste time preaching to people who aren't interested because there's so many people out there who are interested. Amen? That's why I would rather go and preach in, I've enjoyed preaching in places like Soweto, in a township in the Val, in Daviton, in those places where people value my message. In the DR Congo, the eastern part of the DR Congo, I would rather pour myself into places where people value the message I have than go into environments and try and force myself onto people who are too proud to listen. Amen? So Paul said, hey guys, we're going to obey God and we're now turning to the Gentiles for this is what the Lord God commanded us. And then he quotes the scripture that says, go and preach to the Gentiles. Go where the life is. When it comes to mentoring people, don't waste time on people who don't value your knowledge. 
Mentor the people who are fighting over who's the one who's going to take you to the airport. Amen? In verse 49, it says, The word of the Lord God spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. So there's some people out there who don't have a problem with you. But there are other people who've got a problem with you and they'll incite others. And that's why sometimes you get confused because you're like, huh? But this person liked me all this time. They were incited by someone. Someone who carries that spirit of envy incited that person and now a whole group of people are against you. Right? But don't be discouraged. It comes with apostolic territory. Right? It says, it says here, the word of the Lord spread, says, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women, so women were also involved in this, women of high standing, and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. Do you know that sometimes you have what we call principalities in the spirit realm, demonic spirits that rule over certain areas. And you know that sometimes those demonic spirits do not want you in that particular region. If you function in the natural, you could be thinking to yourself, how come whenever I try doing business in the East Rand, it doesn't work? And sometimes it's because there are people in that area who are under the influence of that principality and they've expelled you spiritually from the region. Are you following? And that's why what the apostolic grace and apostolic anointing does is that it counters that particular thing. If you're not connected with the apostolic anointing, you'll find that, oh, you'll just, you'll explain it naturally. And you'll just say, things never work out when I try to do business in that area. Things never work out when I try to go to that particular city. That's why we've prayed for people before when they say, I want to start doing business in Zambia. I want to start doing business in Mozambique. We pray for them. They come and they say, please, I want to go with an apostolic grace. And what we do is we deal with some of the principalities in that region and they experience favor there. That's why some of you, you've tried to do certain things in other areas and what happens? You experience backlash. All of a sudden, your family is sick whenever you go to that area. Are you hearing me? All of a sudden, you, you start doing things and getting into all types of darkness when you're in that area. Why? You were dealing with a different spirit that's stronger than some of the spirits that have been assigned to you in this area. Someone is catching on to what I'm saying right now. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Aconium. That's still there, by the way. It's a small city in Turkey, right? Uh, it's called something like Konia now. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. So often resistance will come through leaders and influential people. And sometimes it's because of mammon, the spirit of mammon. We'll talk about that some other time. Those of you who get envious concerning other people, you know what? You should ask the question that Socrates asked the one time. Someone went up to Socrates and said, I've got something to tell you about a friend of yours. And Socrates said to them, is it something good? No, it's not something good. Do you know whether it's true or not? No, I don't know whether it's true or not. Is it going to be useful to me? No, I don't, I, I don't know whether it's going to be useful to you or not. He says, so why are you telling me? You're not too sure whether it's true? It's not going to be useful to me and it's something that's negative. So why do you want to tell me? 
I'm saying this because for some of you, what's happening is those people full of envy will try to incite you against God's work, against God's leaders. And it's important that we watch out for that. I want to land this by saying this to you. It says in verse 14, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against their brothers. That's what some of you have experienced. Against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both the Gentiles and the Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. Verse 6. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystria and Derb and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. As my wife comes up to play, I want to ask you this question. It says that these guys were resisting Paul and Barnabas. Amen? And it says that they were plotting to kill Paul and Barnabas. But it says Paul and Barnabas found out, are you hearing me this morning? Found out about the plot against them. Do you know what the enemy's strategy against you is this morning? Because the result of finding this out, they fled. Do you know what the enemy's strategy is against you right now? What is the enemy's strategy? What is the enemy plotting against your career right now? What is the enemy plotting against your marriage right now? There's some of you who are making marriage decisions and you're saying, my wife is like this, my husband is like this, but the enemy has actually sown that thought into your mind. But you think it's your own thought. But if you knew that it was the plotting of the enemy against you, you wouldn't be thinking those thoughts. You would know, I need to rebuke this particular thing. Amen. What I find amazing about Paul and Barnabas is that they fled that area because they knew the enemy's strategy, but they still continued preaching. I know what God has called me to, and I will continue preaching. Amen. Continue doing the thing that God has called you to do and don't let the enemies plotting against you freeze you up and paralyze you so that you lose your voice. In 1 Corinthians 9 verse 16 it says, for, this is Paul speaking, he says, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. strong word there, woe. It's a word of judgment. When Jesus said, woe to you Chorazin, woe to you Bethsaida, those cities don't exist anymore. Some of you are here this morning and you're in a space in your life where you're saying, I've tried to do certain things, but I was doing them 
not actually understanding the apostolic wisdom, the apostolic anointing, the apostolic grace that I've needed to go into other regions and other dimensions. And I experienced the backlash. If that's you, I want you to stand up because I want to pray for your restoration. But I also want to pray for you so that you are partaker of the grace and the mantle that's in this household of faith. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If that's you, just stand where you are because God wants to do something powerful in our midst right now. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this place. I pray for them, Father God, that have experienced backlash, that have experienced wounding, and they've gone into various places not understanding the spiritual climate and the spiritual dynamic. I pray for my brothers and sisters right now, Lord, that you would heal that wound, that wound that is silencing them, that wound that is stopping them from doing what you've called them to do, that wound that says, never again will I try to start a business, that wound that discourages. And right now, Lord God, I thank you and I choose to partner with them, Lord. You have called us into regions. You've given us favor and dominion in the land. And I stand with my brothers and sisters and I say, I am with you. I say, I am with you. And I thank you that the grace that is upon me for breakthrough anointing into regions, the grace that is upon me to push through and not to give up, the grace that is upon me to deal with territorial spirits right now is upon you too. And you walk protected, you walk undercover, you walk with this anointing, you walk with this mantle, and you will be able to do that which God has called you to do. You'll not be one who went, you'll be one who was sent. You will not be one who went. You will be one who was sent. And just like the children of Israel, they left Egypt led by God's mighty hand with mighty power. You will also go out with mighty power and mighty anointing to do what God has called you to do. Receive it. This grace is yours. This grace is yours. This grace is your inheritance. This grace is part of your destiny. And I bless you now in Jesus' mighty name. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen and Amen. Go out with boldness. Go out with boldness like never before. God's hand is upon you. When people come with envy, don't allow that envy and betrayal to sting you. Don't let it sting you. Don't let it discourage you. Don't get into that self-pity mode. That's what the enemy wants. He wants you to get into the mode of self-pity where you end up saying, let me just settle. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Let me just settle. Let me just settle and you settle for second best. The apostolic mindset says, I'm going to push through. The harvest is big. Amen. Yes, that business didn't work out. Start three more. Why? It's the anointing. When you do things under the anointing, there's a multiplier effect. When you do things in your own strength, you struggle and you experience backlash. Amen. God bless you.